clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Isn't that an interesting little verse? Doesn't that remind you somewhere about a garden? When we fall out of fellowship with God and we want to hide, we know that we're exposed and we need his covering. What a beautiful statement there, isn't it? Reminding us that right from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, we broke fellowship with God and he's been on this plan and this journey to bring us back to him, to take us home. So the first P, oh gosh, seven to go, Ripper. We, we do, what we do need to be reminded of is what we do know and not what we don't know. Just before Christmas, Bev and I went to see the performance of the Messiah. It was written nearly 300 years ago by Handel in about 1742. The score of the musical performance is pure scripture. It's just scripture after scripture after scripture. It's the whole performance is, is the choir and the musicians singing scripture. It's broken into three parts. Firstly is the prophecy of um, uh, the realisation. Oh, God, Kathy, now it's gone. <laughs> Could you, get, you get a chair and sit here. <laughs> Sorry. That's it. Beautiful. No, oh, down, down. Sorry. No. This is fun, isn't it? Let us sit. No, I don't know. It's my fingers. They're electric. No, we're on, we're on Word. No, we're not connected to the internet. Just press Word. That's all right. We'll come back. Yeah, beautiful. See, it doesn't take long at all. Thank you. <laughs> Definitely his fingers. It's jumped again. There we go. Okay. Okay. So there's the three, the three parts of the Messiah. Look, at, it's really... Stop it. Behave. <laughs> Dave, you offered to print it out. <laughs> I've, got I've got a picture of an ugly, an ugly uh, candidate for America. I shan't do that. I can't believe this. Okay, sorry, Kath, I need you again. Bring your chair. Bring a chair up and come. <laughs> You've never had such a. No, I need to be. I need to be scrolling. So it's, and back down, back to, back to. There, lovely. That's it. Thank you. I don't know what it is. As soon as I touch it, it literally is like no. We'll be fine. So, um, the first section is the prophecy and realization of God's plan to redeem mankind by the coming Messiah, and that's what the this, this story is about. The Messiah. Uh, the second part is the accomplishment of redemption by the sacrifice of Christ, man's rejection of God's offer, and mankind's utter defeat when trying to oppose the power of the Almighty. And that segment finishes with a hallelujah chorus, and to a king of kings and lords of lords, a great glory. And then the third part is a hymn of thanksgiving for the th final overthrow of death. It's like having a musician having to turn the pages, isn't it? Okay, prophecy. Bev was speaking to a good friend of ours, and uh, he said, oh, Mike's speaking on Sunday. Oh, what's he, yeah, what's he speaking on? He said, oh, the second coming. Don't go there, he said. Don't go there. <laughs> because he knows that uh, the difficulties of trying to interpret prophecy is, is so complex. One of the problems is, uh, is language, the apocalyptic language. 
You know, in, in Revelation you read it, there's all sorts of dragons and numbers and, and, and signs and uh, it's extraordinary uh, language. But in the first century, that was quite common when you were trying to uh, convey a message to people, particularly if you were being persecuted, you wanted to talk about those that were persecuting you, you couldn't actually write that. You put it in, in sort of disguised language. So a lot of that apocalyptic language uh, is, is quite difficult. The second is that there are several views on when and how Christ will return. I, I heard a Welsh uh, preacher here in Adelaide on the subject. Uh, he said that he knew that in his lovely Welsh lilt, he says, I know I'm not on the organising committee, but I am on the welcoming committee. And I thought that's, that's very good doctrine. You know, we don't have to worry about the time or the place, but when the Lord comes, we want to be there to welcome him. It's trite, but it's true. So I do not intend to, to attempt to explain these views to you because of time and that I'm not a teacher. You need somebody that's got a good, a good mind that can lay these things out. But I can offer you a couple of books to read if you're interested. This one is uh, by a guy called Stanley Grenz. It's called uh, The Millennium Maze. It's very uh, wordy, uh, quite complex, uh, but well-written. He goes through all the various positions and, and why people believe that. The second one, and I quote quite a lot from this today, is The Lost Message of the End Times, uh, written by Ian Miller, who's known, known to some of us here. Uh, Ian's a very, very bright man, and he's waded his way through that. And he comes up with some, some very good... Uh, explanations. He, he has the ability to uh, to walk down um, it, almost in somebody else's mind to say that if you are a post-millennialist or one of these other things, this is what you believe, and I can understand why you would believe that. And then he then he explains what. Well, okay, but what about, what about? So he, he analyzes the different things, but he's able to try and see it from other people's perspective, which makes it makes it very powerful. Okay. Um, thank you. This is so nice. Thank you, Nick. My fingers are probably sweating, and that's probably the problem, I think. Yeah. Ah, it's really nice, my personal assistant. No. Um, okay. Let's get, go back. So um, I, I must respect that there are people, and I do respect, there are people here uh, who follow different views, and that comes from the background uh, where they came from, the, sort of the, the teaching that they received in, in the various their church backgrounds. Uh, I have to say in more recent years, I've modified my personal views of that what I first believed when I came to faith 50 years ago. That's based on two things, um, that I've lived 50 years further on. A lot of things have happened in those 50 years. There's been, for instance, a massive rise of Christians in China. And there's a huge revival going on in China, which we don't hear much about. South America is afire with the gospel. There's a lot of things that have changed, and some of the emphasis of the 70s is no longer no longer current at all. And so part of that, that life has gone on. And my personal understanding is now based on much more uh, of my own research and discussions with people. But I hold no real claim to be right. It's only my opinion, and you have your opinion. I respect that. But what we must not let this do is to divide or distract us. A wise lady in this congregation said, wrote to me recently and said, but it's not a salvation issue. We can agree to disagree. Somebody once said, I respect your right to be wrong. <laughs> what does concern me is that there are many views. Oh, there's the little thing there. And uh, the danger is that in our keenness to understand, 
we can become insensitive to others. You know, we get so hot under the collar, and this is right, I know this, I've read this, and we really, um, we don't know for sure. And why do we get hot and bothered and beat people up uh, over things that really we don't really know the full answers to? Eschatology should neither be personally triumphalistic. In other words, I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, and, and in which case that uh, we become offensive or um, making us fearful. Some of the doctrines are very fearful, um, frighten people. Uh, people should not be f- f- uh, feared, frightened into the kingdom. It could be because they've understood. Uh, and it shouldn't cause churches to be splitting or breaking away. Bill V, Bill Vass, when he was here, Vassilakis, a couple of weeks ago, covered this very well. And he spoke about the many false doctrines uh, that the church has come up with over the years. And having been around 50 years, you've seen a lot of funny, funny things. And Bill talked about those funny, strange things. Caused a lot of damage in the the body of Christ. Uh, He explained that we're not told much about the beginnings, for instance, of creation, whether it's literal six days, or, and we're not told much detail about the end times. However, what we are told about is the present and possible relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the way to live life following him. For instance, look at God, what God has been saying to this church in recent weeks. Just Sam Barnes's Christmas message. Uh, for your sakes, all this was done, this this sending of Christ, as we come to the Easter story of Christ dying for our sins, all for your sakes was Sam's time. Bill, uh, when he spoke, he talked about being anchored, our guiding compass and true north, how the word of God is so important. Keep us straight. Uh, in the current series, in his, uh, in his words, uh, Andrew Langmade spoke about loving our enemies. Ben Maddock, and I love this, what is that to you? You know, the disciples are asking questions and, and uh, you know, is this person going to go before I am? Is he going to come with you? And uh, Jesus said to him, well, what's that to you? Just follow me. And really that's all about what we're doing today, isn't it? Don't worry about some of the stuff which you don't know and don't understand. Just follow Jesus. It's fairly simple, isn't it? <laughs> Um, Hans Fortman, your ultimate destiny, Jesus, heaven or hell, as well as many other great teachings. But that's if you listen, God is, and you know, you know, God is speaking to this church, is revealing messages. We, we often uh, repeat things over and over again because, I don't know about you, but I forget things so quickly. My, my mind goes off on things. So the danger of trying to interpret prophecy without knowledge of the full facts is that we can and do get it wrong. So then, why hasn't Jesus returned? A probable answer, I believe, which Scripture indicates, is because the Father has such love for his creation and knows the ultimate end of all who those who reject him and his offer of salvation wants none to be lost. That makes sense, doesn't it? He's holding back, he's waiting, he's waiting. Peter writes in his second letter, the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise in the sense which some men speak of slowness, but he bears patiently with you, with me, with us. His desire being that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance. I ask you, are you one of those that he's waiting for? It's a very real question, isn't it? Is he holding back? 
The certainty of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. If it does not reflect the hope, faith and love of Christ, may I say, don't listen to it. One tool which Bill uh, Vass reminded us, Vassilakis reminded us about, is the comb principle uh, we can use in eschatology as well as all of Scripture. And I think, Dave, if you could flash that up um, in any writing. Comb, context, other Scriptures, meaning and background. It's a wonderful thing when you look, just apply those simple, simple rules. What was the context? When was this written? What was, what was going on? What, where, where is it set? What's the passage? Don't just take a, pluck a verse out and try and make a doctrine out of it. Put it in, the, in its setting. What, what was going on? Uh, and, and so it goes on through those, those various things. Are there other scriptures to back it up? Uh, is, there, is there a meaning? What does it mean? What, what is it actually being said here? And what is the background? What was happening at the time? What's the historical setting? You put that, it sorts out an awful lot of wobbly doctrine. Okay, so provision. We've just celebrated the first advent, as we talked about, where Christ's birth, uh, the angels declare Christ has come to save his people from their sins, the Messiah, God with us. God has offered us a pardon in Jesus. We now live in this gospel age, an age of grace. There's a late uh, John Chapman who was a, uh, an Australian evangelist and uh, he's written a little gospel, a simple gospel out, uh, outline which goes, God. It goes, God, people, God, what if, what, what if. God, this is God's world. He made it. God has made Jesus rule of his world through his rising from the dead. Jesus has the right to control and run our lives. People, everyone has rebelled against Jesus' right to run his or her life. Some in open hostility, others in passive apathy. But it's real, just the same. God, God calls on us all to stop rebelling and live, living our own self-focused and independent life and to submit to Jesus. What if a person won't? If a person won't submit to Jesus... In the end, that person will be overthrown. Jesus really is in charge of God's word, world. But what if a person does? If a person stops rebelling and submits to Jesus, he or she is treated as if they had never rebelled. It's a very simple gospel, isn't it? John goes on to say that if we meditate on him who is so very impressive, and you look at what Jesus did, he is very, very impressive it will become a very strong incentive for us to proclaim him to all people. Sam's Christmas message, again, for your sakes, he did this. I could add another P here for power, power to live the Christian life. But that's another story with being filled with the Spirit. Process, we're getting there. Process seems to be more important than outcome. Wrestling with God, the challenging of of studying the Scriptures, Always in the light of how much you are living what you learn. And this was, I don't like preaching. I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's far too challenging. The more you know, the more you get, the more responsible you feel, feel for this. But praise the Lord, we soldier on. Um, we have to try and pluck up the courage to tell others. But we all need God's grace and power. We are told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. 
It's a process. It's called sanctification, which is to transform you and I more into the likeness of Christ and to be made fit to live with him forever. Not, it's not, as some people think, it's a one-time commitment and then continuing to live as you please. The scriptures are full of advice, warnings, encouragement. That is why it's so important to be constantly in relationship with the Lord through reading the word, reading his word, reading the scriptures, talking to him in prayer and fellowshipping like we're doing today with other believers so that we don't get off track, we don't get off on one, we don't get isolated or deceived. I know I need all that discipline to keep me focused. Because my mind just goes, I see a few people nodding. We do, we, we wander off, don't we? Okay, look at what Paul writes to uh, of his experience with the church at the Thessalonica, and I think, David, you could throw that up. Now, this, is the, this is a sort of backward gospel in the sense that Paul is writing and he's saying to the church at Thessalonica, this is what I've heard about you. This is what's been reported. For people themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols. And other words of those things, we try to fill our lives with the things that we think will give us meaning and purpose. You turn away from those to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And that's what was being fed back. This is what these people were doing. That they, He said, you've turned. This is wonderful. You've turned from idols. You've turned to the living God. And, uh, uh, and you're serving him and living for him, uh, trying to follow Jesus as best you can uh, from heaven and, 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 and wait for him to return uh, from heaven. Jesus who rescues us from the, co- the coming wrath. We forget that, don't we? We forget that Jesus is a saviour. Saviour from what? Saving us from God's wrath because God will judge us in the end about how we have responded to his message. Very interesting to me that Ian Miller, who wrote this uh, the book, the, the Lost Message, The End Time, concludes at the end of his study that his response to the imminent return of Christ was to go out and proclaim the kingdom of heaven with signs and wonders following. Ian left a large, uh, thriving church in Sydney, a growing church. It was at least 600 people. I mean, it was a, it was a growing, happening thing. But he felt, um, uh, he felt God call him uh, to go out and to be a street evangelist, to go out, take the message into the marketplace. And uh, so he joined this group, he left this church, and he has seen and still continues to see amazing miracles of healing and people coming to faith all out there on the streets. Bev and I are very grateful that Ian pursued this call because, as many as you know, Bev was the recipient of a miracle just last year when through Ian's prayer and God healed her from grade 4 cancer. So we're very grateful this man followed that calling. But if we let fear of tribulation grip us, we might well lie down or find ourselves retreating from a world that we're supposed to bring hope to. Isn't that one of the problems that we get caught up in this stuff and we start to feel guilty or we start to wonder if we got it right? We can get put off offside. Thank you. We're getting there beautifully. Thank you so much, Kathy. Uh, <clears throat> 
We then fail to step into the fullness of the inheritance that is ours through Christ's victory. The victory over Satan, whose biggest weapon is the lie that comes from his mouth. He tries to tell us that he is powerful. He tries to say that he is not bound, that he can conquer us. And that lie can only hold sway if we allow it. The words of an old chorus remind us, as a great chorus, you, Lord, have won the victor's crown. You've triumphed over sin and death. Your name is lifted high and rings throughout all the earth. Every demon spirit in hell always trembles when your name is heard. And we, your church, enforce that victory in the world. Oh, the glory of your name, the splendour of the name. None can compare with the power of that name. You are Jesus. You are Lord. You are God. So there's a job for us to do for every generation in bringing the message of reconciliation with God through Jesus, to be witnesses of his majesty and of his kingdom. And as Paul tells Timothy, stir up the gift of God, for the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. So we need and we're encouraged to be prepared. Ian Miller writes again, the purpose of eschatology is not to predict the events that surround the time when Jesus returns. It's a message that is intends to uh, cause people to consider whether they have a good reason to be assured of God's favour. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not about dates and times. It's really to us to question, do we have that assurance? that we are saved, that we will be able to face God and his judgment. Matthew 24, Jesus discusses his return and it is known in eschatology terms, Olivet Discourse. It was because it was given on the Mount of uh, Olives. I mentioned before there's a great deal of discussion about the how and, and when this will happen. But I'm carefully avoiding, as you'll note, <laughs> other than to note that Jesus said he will return when the father says the time is right however the parables at the end of that discourse verse end of 24 and verse uh, Matthew 25 very relieving revealing did you give me a glass of water did I thank you sorry I'm sorry about this today it's that's why I'm not going to do this anymore Uh, no maybe maybe Okay, we're warned in these parables by Jesus not to be like the foolish virgins. Uh, They do not make preparation and run out of oil for their lamps whilst waiting for the bridegroom to return. Talking of preparation. The wise ones, however, were ready and took a supply of extra oil. We're also warned not to be like the lazy servant who, given a bag of gold, didn't value the gift. Uh, and uh, he didn't uh, do anything with it. He lost the opportunity and buried it, not allowing it to produce any return. But the diligent servants, servants invested and used their talents who were then given even more. It's an interesting story, isn't it? But all about what we, what we do. Are we then ready to stand before the judge? We're not to presume on his kindness. We don't know what tomorrow holds. It's no good saying, well, I'll think about that 
and maybe I'll do something about it later. We're not to presume on his kindness. Today is the day of salvation. Is God calling you to be part of his family? Those that will be joining him in a new heaven and a new earth to live with him forever. For those who are called, we are continually encouraged to keep serving the Lord like the Thessalonians, whilst waiting for his return. We're reminded again and again to keep in mind that his return is always imminent, even though circumstances around us may not always indicate that. So can you answer the question then, which Jesus asks, when the Son of Man returns, will he still find faith on the earth? The writer of the Hebrews, and finishing with this, says in chapter 10, 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Talks about how God has made that provision, pushed aside the curtain, drawn us into his very presence. Paul to the Philippian church says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of Jesus Christ. That's my personal verse for life. God's promised. I just have to trust in his promises. God wants us uh, with us, always wanted us to come home. That is how it was in the beginning. People we rebelled, we became naked and ashamed. But God himself has taken the plan, has put, sent Christ for us so that we give him glory and enjoy him forever. I'm just going to pray now. Thank you, Kathy. Bless you. We're done. Thank you so much. Uh, join me as I pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us to trust in your son Jesus and what he has accomplished for us. Grant us grace to hang in there with you until we see you face to face. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Now, I just want again just to make sure that people are here that it's almost as God, I saw a picture of a, like a scroll and it was like, it was a pardon. In the old days, if you know, the king would pardon you, there, there would be a, a, a sheet of paper. He's waiting for you to accept it so that he can ink in your name and record your name in the, in the book of life. Now you've heard this, this message about Christ's return and the expectations we're all without excuse. We can't say, I didn't know. God's made it very clear to us that he's coming back, that, he will ju- that, the, that we will, the world will be judged. It will be made right. The he- there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be wonderful for those that believe. We don't really understand. We have n- eye hasn't seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of things, the things that God has for us, the joy of knowing Christ and knowing uh, a world that would be free of sin and pain and uh, it would be just such an amazing thing. 
But he's offering us, he's offering all, all of us and has offered to us a pardon. Will you accept that pardon? Have you accepted that pardon? This is not to scare you, but to acquaint you with the truth. This is the truth. Jesus is real. He changes lives. It gives you the opportunity to respond to his gracious offer. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now is the challenge to all of us today. Have you accepted Jesus' offer of faith in him? Will you open up your heart today to him? Let him come into your life. Accept, accept him as your saviour and live for him. Amen. Amen. Uh, if the people, and you will know, I know when I sat there and heard a similar message, my heart was beating. I was under such conviction of the truth. And maybe today, you may be sitting here, you've, you've never really considered the claims of Jesus or thought about his return. But now you know. Don't leave this place today. Don't leave this place without making a decision for Christ. Go away if you need to. Talk to God. Get it straight. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. None of us know. Jesus is calling you. Will you respond? God bless you. Have a great new year. Keep this in mind. And thank you, dear Cathy. I'm so sorry to be such a bumbling 75-year-old. <laughs> Powerful message. Doesn't matter how bumbling you are or not, the message is still the same, still powerful. So um, we are, once I've tuned my guitar, um, we're going to respond in song. I'm having trouble too. Mike, can you come and help? He's <laughs> <laughs> just slipping. There we go. That'll do. Um, we're going to respond in song. We're going to sing verse, verse 4 again, He shall return in robes of white from the song we sang earlier. And we are also going to acknowledge the lordship of Christ, that he is Lord, he is judge, he has the right to be the boss of our lives and uh, so I invite you to stand and, um, yeah, invite you to stand. Let's sing, I praise the name. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, worship team, for leading us today. 
And uh, that brings us to the close of our service this morning. So please hang around and join us for a cup of tea or coffee. And if anyone would like prayer for anything, please feel free to remain down the front here and there'll be someone who can pray with you. Um, Thank you once again, Mike, for that reminder that really we need to live ready every single day. So if you would like prayer about that, uh, please join us afterwards. Otherwise, God bless. Have a great day.